This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, gang, it's Jesse. Uh, so I'm working on a special bullseye thing. I could use your help. Um, do you have an interesting job or a weird job or a strange job or even a regular job that is surprisingly interesting? Like, are you a museum curator or a firefighter or a forest ranger or uh, there's a lot of options. Anyway, uh, we're working on this special bullseye. I, I want to hear from you. What's my job at MaximumFun.org? Uh, W-H-A-T-S-M-Y-J-O-B at MaximumFun.org. All one word. What's my job at MaximumFun.org? Just um, let us know what your job is. Uh, send us a voice memo, whatever. Again, this is a special bullseye thing. It's going to be really fun. Uh uh, if we can use you on the show, um, it'll be nice. Uh, what's my job at MaximumFun.org? Thanks. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Most people, if they know who Bismarcky was, know him from this song. You, you got what I need, but you say he's just a friend, and you say he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you got what I need, but you say he's just a friend, but you say he's just a friend. And for good reason. It is a great song. It's one of those songs that you can play anywhere, anytime, and basically everyone present will be happy to hear it. But within hip-hop, Bismarcky was much more than just a guy with a hit record. He was a sort of avatar for everything delightful about the culture. Every positive vibe, every party, every laugh, every human connection. When it came to good times, nobody beat the biz. Bismarcky was funny, but he wasn't a clown. He was a kind of keeper of the flame, first as a rapper and beatboxer, later as perhaps the universe's number one celebrity DJ. His very way of being in the world reminded everyone around him how fun hip-hop could be. That spirit was what Sasha Jenkins tried to capture in his film All Up in the Biz. It's basically a movie about the most beloved guy, in the history of hip-hop. Sasha Jenkins himself is a hip-hop veteran. He was one of the founders of the legendary magazine Ego Trip and the creative director of Mass Appeal magazine. He's also directed a number of other films, including documentaries about the Wu-Tang Clan, Rick James, and Louis Armstrong. Now, 
Let's talk about the biz. M M is a A, R R is a K, guaranteed to brighten your day. Sasha Jenkins, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Happy to be here. So when you were thinking about making a documentary for a set of stuff Showtime was putting out for the 50th anniversary of hip hop, there were a lot of topics you could have covered. Yes. There are a lot of people in your movie who merit a documentary. Why did you choose Bismarcky? Because all roads lead to Bismarcky. I mean, this guy had a heavy hand in the careers of people like Big Daddy Kane and Rakim. I mean, how could one man who no one had any expectations for have such a strong influence on the culture? And um, he was the personification of hip-hop, basically. He's hip-hop Jesus in many ways. That's a bold statement. I challenge anyone to challenge me on that statement. I mean, who else is hip-hop Jesus? I mean, obviously there's Jesus Jesus, and much respect to that Jesus, most important Jesus, but when it comes to hip-hop Jesus, it's Bismarcky. When was the first time you heard Bismarcky's music? Well, being a kid growing up in Queens, across the street from the Astoria Projects, about a mile away from Queensbridge Projects, which is where um, the Juice Crew hails from, I remember just hearing Nobody Beats the Biz and just, like, going nuts in my bedroom. Nobody beats the biz. Nobody beats the biz. You know me at the B-I-C-M-A-R-K-I-E-N. I go for what I know, doing a show for human beings. I'm guaranteed to ride to make the ladies feel me shout. I'm bound to wreck your body as they turn the party out. I would hear it at jams. I would hear it on the radio. It was, you know, it was inspired by a popular... Um, television commercial for a local electronics store called The Wiz. Nobody beats The Wiz. Nobody beats The Wiz. Nobody beats The Wiz on this programmable VHS VCR with wireless remote and HQ circuitry, a gift of $217. Grand opening sale at all night. So if you're from New York and you know The Wiz, you'll know how Nobody Beats The Biz is very similar. And um, it's just a special time for me in New York and for so many other kids at the time. So yeah, that's probably when I first, I'm sure that's when I first encountered Bismarcky's music. When did you first meet him in real life? Interestingly enough, I hadn't met him until maybe two years before his death. And we were meeting about, he wanted to do a documentary. And um, he came to my office and uh, we had a great conversation and um, we were going to try to do something. And at the time, I couldn't get any takers for a Bismarcky documentary. Um but uh, somehow in, in death, I don't think it's just because he died that I was able to do it. Um, Mass Appeal, we said, when I was there at the time, we spearheaded something called Hip Hop 50 for the 50th anniversary. So there's lots of hip hop content that we made for Showtime. But um, I feel like if you're telling the story of hip hop, like to unravel, to unpack the story of Bismarcky is telling the story of hip hop. That's something that I really didn't look like I knew he was deeply connected with the juice crew who are incredibly important. But like last year I interviewed Rakim for this show and I had never heard the tapes of them rapping together as teenagers. You know what I mean? Like, like pre-professional teenagers, like 16 year olds or 17 year olds or whatever. 
It's like fat and up. It's like fat and up. It's like fat and up. A sizzle beat show. Don't freak y'all. It don't stop. Well, I don't act conceited. Don't brag on folks. But when it comes to Sam Roswitz, I got the most words than anybody else. Just an MC bitch. So if they ask you who's the best, tell them who it is. Tell them Biz or the Busy or Biz Marquis or either way you add it up. It was a small world, hip-hop, in 1982. And Biz seemed to be physically at every single point in the Constellation. Yeah, I mean, he was really inspired by it. And um, he found a way to amplify who he was. He was able to create an identity that he was comfortable with. I think Biz was teased a lot as a kid, made fun of, bullied, um, but he found strength in hip-hop, and hip-hop has this transformational power that uh, it's like putting on a cape and becoming a superhero. It's like once you figured out what your rhymes are and you figured out what you want to say and how you want to say it, you can totally become a superhero. And uh, Biz Marquis, before cell phones, before pagers, like this guy, before Uber and Lyft, this guy you know, who lives out in Long Island, made it his business to be at jams in Harlem, made it his business to be at jams in Queens. I mean, the guy literally was everywhere, and that's before people connected the dots with hip-hop. Like, back then, if you're from the Bronx, you went to jams in the Bronx. If you're from Queens, you just went to the local jams. You didn't really travel far unless you had a cousin and whatever, um, some projects uptown. Like, you would stay where you were. And so... Biz was a weirdo. Like, he traveled, and um, he wound up becoming a a physical conduit of hip-hop in in its essence by his travels. Even more to get into with Sasha Jenkins after the break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is director Sasha Jenkins. He is a co-founder of the hip-hop magazine Ego Trip and a documentary filmmaker. His subjects have included Louis Armstrong, Wu-Tang Clan, Ed Sullivan, and now hip-hop pioneer Biz Markie. 
All Up in the Biz is streaming on Showtime and Paramount Plus and is available to buy digitally pretty much everywhere. Let's get back into our conversation. You cover his early life a little bit in the movie, but it seems like it's a little bit tough to pierce because he didn't talk much about his early life. What did you learn from talking to his foster siblings and his wife about who he was before hip hop? I mean, who he was before hip hop was who he was during hip hop. He was a funny guy. He loved to crack jokes. He was a collector of random toys, Barbie dolls, a collector of sneakers. I mean, all of these things that are popular today, like collecting of sneakers, like he did that like in the 80s. Like he was just a big kid. You know, I mean, everyone would just say, tell you who knew him that he was a big kid. And his music really was a reflection of who he was. So if you had the benefit of knowing him before he was famous, you would say he didn't change. And that's really hard for anyone. I mean, everyone changes. I mean, everyone evolves and grows. And that's not to say that Biz didn't grow to a certain extent, but his personality remained intact. The guy that they knew in 82 was the guy they knew in 92. It also maybe reflects the difficulty and trauma of the circumstances of his growing up, right? That that, that collecting, that interest in kids stuff is stuff that somebody who dealt with childhood poverty and the traumas of, you know, being in the foster care system, even with a very loving family, can lead someone to deal with for the rest of their life. Well, his wife says that in the film, like he's probably making up for all the things he didn't have when he didn't have them. And um, there's, I don't know, there's comfort in that, being able to be in a position where you're able to get the things that you really wanted at a time. There was a time when you could, really couldn't get those things. And now it's a, it's a Barbie doll, but still something that he might have wanted when he was a kid. How did the biz find hip hop? Um, you know, through tapes back then, that was the thing. Like, you know, these mixtapes, these live tapes of live performances, jams, you know, see somehow his brother wound up coming home with some jams, his foster brother, I guess. And uh, the rest is history, became obsessed with it and uh, sought it out. And um, that was the thing about hip hop. It was live. It was real. It was something that you could... Uh, participate in like you can people weren't going to studio 54 to hear hip-hop they were going to studio park you know the park up the block is where you can hear all this incredible music made by someone you might have grown up with or someone from your community so he just sought it out did biz start with rapping i think everyone usually starts out either rapping or as a DJ. I think it was somewhere in between. Um, I think he might have aspired initially to be a DJ, and uh, at the end of his career, when he was pretty much done with rapping or making original rap recordings, he wound up becoming one of the biggest DJs in the world. And that's the thing about hip-hop is, you know, in the 90s, the emphasis really was on the rapper. You know, early... Like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. The Fresh Prince was the and. 
it was about the DJ in the beginning. The DJ was the controller of the party, the controller of the action. And so lots of people initially, their initial foray into hip-hop was um, by way of DJ. And Biz Markie was also a pioneering beatbox. Like, he's a dude who heard Dougie Fresh and said, well, that's a way to set the party off without even needing turntables and speakers. Yeah, I mean, in the film, Dougie Fresh talks about how they met, and, um, you know, they met at a performance, and Biz Markie just was on the side of the stage with his mouth open watching him and came up to Dougie Fresh afterwards and said, that's amazing, you know, can I come to your house? And he's like, can you come to my house? Like, I'm just meeting you, but okay. <laughs> and then, you know, Dougie Fresh lives in Harlem. Bismarcky lives in Long Island. And so the next day he comes home from school and because he's a rap star and he's still in high school. He's a celebrity. He comes home and Biz is in his living room. He had already <laughs> gone to the store for his grandmother. You know, like, <laughs> what the hell kind of guy? Who is this guy? But... Biz studied under Dougie Fresh, and, um, you know, Dougie Fresh said, look, initially he wasn't that great, but then eventually he made his own sound, something that was very distinct to him. My name is Biz Marquis, a human organ. Stung! So he was a student. Biz was a real student of hip-hop. What do you think the appeal was of Biz to these dudes and women who were, at that time, kind of transforming rap from goof-around disco parties at the park to either I'm a serious business lyricist or even in some cases, like, this is street talk. Like, why do you think they loved Biz so much as, as hip-hop was starting to change towards a straight face? Well, hip-hop was really about the party, right? And the party's about fun. Like, in the early 70s, it wasn't about busting dope lyrics out. I mean, it was about the DJ. And the MC was the guy who would get on the mic and tell you, like, you got to move your double park cars at your green pinto. Like... The MC was just the, the MC, like ho hosting the party. He wasn't a lyricist per se. So I think Biz is a reflection of the essence of where hip hop comes from. It's fun. Like people are going to jams not to be serious. Like, I mean, I love Public Enemy. Public Enemy is a huge influence on me. But like, you know, Chuck D's like, he, he wants you to dance, but really he wants you to think. And Biz Marquis wants you to have fun. He wants to be. You know, he doesn't want to talk about politics. He just wants to have fun. He wants to make you laugh. He wants to have a good time. And I think people are always going to want to have a good time. People are always going to want to laugh. And um, I think he just reminded people of the early days of hip-hop. It was impressive to me that maybe the two people who spoke the most lovingly and passionately about Bismarcky, other than his family members in your documentary, are... Rakim and Big Daddy Kane, that these two dudes who 
were deeply engaged in transforming rapping specifically to a new thing were the guys who loved him the absolute most. Yeah, they're both super important MCs, foundational artists, influences even today from different places and different perspectives, but he was able to relate to them independently. And um, I don't know, you got to be able to be a special kind of person to be able to make, I mean, pretty much rock him and Big Daddy Kane cry in the film. I mean, Rakim was shedding tears. And this is hip-hop. This is Rakim. Like, he didn't say turn off the camera. Like, he was speaking his mind. I mean, he really loved this guy. And um, it was such a great loss to them. And um, uh, when I'm interviewing Rakim, we're in his high school lunchroom, and everyone has a story about Biz being in the lunchroom, meeting Biz in the lunchroom. But the funny thing is, Biz didn't go to any of these schools. Like, everyone thought that Biz went to the school, but, like, no, he somehow found his way into the lunchroom, which in 2024 would never happen. This dude was cutting school to go to other people's schools. Yeah, but that's where hip-hop was. Hip-hop was in the lunchroom. Like, you can bang beats on the lunchroom tables. Like, this is what kids did. They made beats on the lunchroom table and they rapped. As you said, you had talk to Biz about making a documentary about his life, but before you were able to get the documentary greenlit, he got very, very sick and eventually passed away a few years ago. And so you were trying to make a movie that captured the spirit of this really singular human being, this person who was fun and ridiculous and silly and radiant, without being able to, you know, question him directly and put that on screen. One of the things that you did was put a puppet of him on screen. First of all, before we get into how the puppet ended up in the movie, first of all, tell me why in hip-hop Biz will always be tied to a puppet of Biz. Well, there's a Master Ace song called Me and the Biz which in the video, Bismarck, he's not in the video, but there's a puppet. And um, this magazine I used to do called Ego Trip, we actually have the puppets in Jeff Mao's basement somewhere in a dirty duffel bag years later. But I had the puppet, and uh, the puppet was made for the video because Bismarck, didn't make the video. And actually, Bismarck was supposed to be on the song, but it's Master Ace rapping Bismarck's parts. The verse that Biz was going to lay down, it didn't work out that way because of some sort of personal stuff. But the verse that Biz was going to lay down is a demo that Master Ace sort of wrote and recorded in Biz's style for Biz to come in and lay vocals over later. Right. It was never intended for that verse uh, that Master Ace laid down to come out via Master Ace. The intention was to have Biz spit those rhymes. And um, because of conflict with uh, Marley Marl, um, Biz and Marley weren't seeing eye to eye. Uh, Master Ace was recording with Marley Marl. Master Ace was a new artist, uh, new to the Juice Crew, and he didn't want to get mixed up in the politics. Um, so when 
Bismarcky didn't wind up on the track, Marley Marl encouraged him to said to put it out as is. Like, don't worry about it. It sounds cool. Like, you know, you're rapping as biz. It's kind of funny. So they go and make a video. And of course, since Biz didn't rhyme on it, they got a puppet to be biz. Put your lyrics back up on the shelf. Now I'm going to pass it to the B-I-C-M-A-R-K-I-E because I know you want to see him. On one, two, on this is what I'm going to do. Keep the place jumping, get it wild like a zoo. If anyone can do it, the B-I-C can piece the Marley Marl, Tragedy and MC Shan. MC Shan, my cousin Cool V and T-Kiss Warnian. The Jungle Brothers swinging from a tree and So when I learned that, I asked uh, Master Ace, like, hey man, would you, you know, write a song addressing this, addressing biz? And sure enough, he did it, which to me, it's like I get goosebumps thinking about the rhyme and how he spat it and how he felt and the real story behind the song, which most people don't know. We'll wrap up with Sasha Jenkins in just a minute. As we have mentioned, the biz had a hit song, a really huge hit song, but his legacy is much more. When we come back from a quick break, we'll talk with Jenkins about why. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from the run-through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. The following are real reenactments of pretend emergency calls. 911. My husband! It's my husband! Calm down, please. What about your husband? He, he loads the dishwasher wrong. Please help him. Where are you now, ma'am? At the kitchen table, I was with my dad. He mispronounced his words intentionally. There are plenty of podcasts on the hunt for justice, but only one podcast has the courage to take on the silly crimes. Judge John Hodgman, the only true crime podcast that won't leave you feeling sad and bad and scared for once. Only on MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Sasha Jenkins, directed the Biz Markey documentary, All Up in the Biz. The second half of Biz Markey's career, he mostly worked as a DJ. You know, his hit records might be worked in there, but he was one of the most successful non-electronica DJs in the country. A really big deal DJ. What was so special about what he did, you know, on the ones and twos? I think with Biz, it's like there's so many technical DJs. There's so many, like, things that, like, DJs are very particular about. But Biz was just fun. You know, he wasn't um, very serious. I mean, he was serious in that he knows good music and knows how to curate good music, but... He didn't take himself so seriously as a DJ. Not that he wasn't a phenomenal DJ, because he was. But, like, you know, sometimes, you know, in DJ culture, any culture, people can get kind of caught up in what it means and the aesthetics and 
things that DJs, you know, don't, no requests, don't ask me to play a song. You know, Biz, it's like you felt like your cousin was um, in your basement just playing records. And I think that made him approachable and made him lovable and, you know, separate him from these DJs who are elite, so elite that you can't even look at them. Let me ask you a wild question here. Let's say somebody is listening to this and they've heard just a friend. Maybe they've even seen Bismarcky and, you know, Men in Black 2 were on Yo Gabba Gabba or something. What would you say to them to describe why he is important beyond that hit record and beatboxing and things from time to time? Because he brings you back to what hip-hop is and where it comes from. And it's this lack of pretentiousness. He wasn't pretentious. He was honest and pure with his intentions and with his music. And I think... Because hip-hop was created by kids who didn't have that much life experience, like, hip-hop is a bit naive to a certain extent, and that's great. And I think that he throws back to the, to those feelings of, like, not really knowing what's going to happen and not caring, just wanting to have a good time. And I think that's a universal power that young people have in any genre. And so outside of the music industry and the politics and like the, the lust for money and the crazy things people do for money as the song goes, Bismarck, he just reminded you of why you were into hip hop. There are a lot of biographical documentaries of famous people made for premium cable networks. I've seen a lot of them. And, uh, it's easy for them to be a list of things that someone did, which is perfectly watchable if the person is interesting. But it seems clear to me that you didn't want to make that movie. What movie did you want to make? I wanted to make a movie for people who know what hip-hop is. You know, the film, it debuted on hip-hop's quote-unquote 50th birthday, which is August 11th. August 11, 1973 is hip-hop's supposed birthday, which is good for marketing, and I'm glad everyone made some money this year, but, like, I, I would beg to differ. But, so, you know, Paramount premieres it on that day, and, you know, um, but there's, you know, shifting of platforms and showtime's halfway going away, and people got fired, and so I don't know how many people actually saw the movie, so I'm, I'm happy to be here, but... I made a few of these documentaries, and um, I was a journalist for a while, a music journalist largely. And I think that I have a duty as someone who is a part of the culture to represent it in a way that is true to the culture. I mean, you know, people write about your movies or talk to you about your movies, but when you're a part of a culture, like, you have to answer to people. And so... I couldn't make some half-baked interview celebrities trying to, like, stretch out who this guy was. I didn't need to fabricate or to extend the narrative of who he was. Like, he was an incredible individual. There'll never be another one like him. And, um, I mean, it's, it's a miracle that it got made. Like, there's not a million people knocking on doors right now wanting to make a Bismarcky film. And there are very few outlets for 
this kind of programming. So the relationship that we had with Showtime, that I had with Showtime, was a magical one, and, and I was spoiled for some years. But things have changed in the in the business, and so I feel lucky that um, I was able to make that film. But in 2024, I would probably not get money for that same film. It's been a tough few years for hip-hop, you know. Myself being from the Bay Area, it was pretty crushing to lose Zumbi from Zion Eye and Gift of Gab from Blackalicious and Shock G in what seemed like direct succession. And business passing felt like it was part of that. It feels like part of that story is simply that earlier generations of hip-hoppers are reaching middle age and health outcomes are not the same for the demographics who are represented in hip-hop. Did you think about that while you were making this film about a guy who had passed away from, from diabetes? I mean, you know, as a somewhat middle-aged man myself, this is something I, I think about often now. Um, a friend of mine who's in the studio, a graffiti legend, his name is Sharp. We talk about this all the time. I mean, you know, people we know have challenges with health, and it's just, what can you do? I mean, hip-hop is like Peter Pan. Like, you know, you can be in this hip-hop Peter Pan world where you don't get old, but, like, the time goes by quick, and um, Nobody Beats the Biz is, like, 1986, 87. I mean, that's a long time ago. So it's, you know, you can start getting those AARP notices when you're 50. Hip-hop's definitely got the AARP notices in the mail now that hip-hop is 50 years old. So this is far for the course, I guess. I mean, we just re-ran an interview I did a decade ago with Prodigy, who passed away from complications of sickle cell. Gab died of complications of his diabetes and other conditions. And there's a scene in the movie where Tracy Morgan lifts up his shirt to show his uh, diabetes equipment, (laughs) I guess you'd call it. And, you know, it's conspicuous to me that these are dudes who are dying at 50 and 55 and 57 and not 70 and 75 and 77. Yeah, well... That's a much longer conversation, but um, it's tough. It's tough. I look at, you know, where I grew up and lots of people I grew up with and a lot of people are no longer here. And um, I don't know. It's a complicated situation. Well, Sasha, I sure am grateful for your time. And I really love the movie. I can't recommend it to people highly enough. It is just an absolute blast. Well, thank you. Please recommend it. Hopefully people can find it. Sasha Jenkins' new documentary is called All Up in the Biz. It is just as exuberant and unusual and delightful as the biz himself was. You can find it streaming on Paramount Plus, Showtime, and for purchase on Amazon, YouTube, and Google. 
That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Daniel Huesias. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the Go team. Thanks to them and to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is on Instagram. We're sharing interview highlights, behind-the-scenes looks, and more. We are at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. We're also on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Schizophrenia and Psychosis Action Alliance, shattering barriers to treatment, survival, and recovery. People with schizophrenia can recover and thrive. More at WeCanThrive.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines is passionate about empowering other small businesses. In the last several years, there are more business owners than we can count. Businesses are opening up quite frequently. And I think that shows the need, the dreams, and the desires of the community to have the independence and to have the financial freedom that's important to them. The reason why it's so important to me to be out there to share information and to educate the community is because I know that a dream doesn't always help you to be successful. You need the competency, you need the wisdom, you need the knowledge. That's where we come in as State Farm agents, our ability to be able to teach over 100 years of experience in this world to say, hey, we got you. You got this and we got this. Let's do it together. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today.